Hi, and welcome to season five of Business Book Talk. Hope you're going to enjoy this new season. I'm really excited about it. I'm sure you will really enjoy some of the books that we have planned. So let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody, it's Bob Ginn, and I've got Shine, Stand Out, Get Noticed, Be Brilliant, Communicate Your Way to a Brighter Career. And I've got Jerry Lewis on the line. Jerry, thanks for joining us. Bob, great to, uh, great to be here with you. Hey, so, uh, you know, we had a nice little preamble, and I love that you said it's great to have an idea guy, and it's great to have somebody who gets things done, but it's even better to have somebody that, that's a great idea guy and can get things done. And that's kind of mm-hmm. what this book's about. It really covers the how-to parts, almost down to, you know, here's some instructions and please fill out this page. It's a very hands-on, almost like a workbook style. It's got a great pace to it as well. So I wanted to ask you, why did you feel that this book needed to be brought out on the market right now? Well, I often describe this book when people ask me, so what's in it? And I say, well, it's a practical, tactical book. And it's one of these things that I hope people will read over and over again, because it's one of these great reference books that you can actually say, hey, that was a great tip. And I'm going to just highlight it and I can actually go back to it. So that's really why uh, that's really the essence of this book, Shine. Mm. And why Shine? Ah, That's a great question. I, I had a few other names for this book, one of which was Finding Your Voice. And while I like the idea of that, if someone came to me and said, well, when I read Finding Your Voice, it sounds as though I'm trying to be an opera singer. And I said, no, that's that's definitely (laughs) not what this book is about. But I thought Shine was very appropriate when I went, when I kind of played it over and over in my head, because I think that when, when you communicate well, and when people, and when you feel you're communicating well, or when people are seeing you and you're doing well, there's a sense of brightness. There's a sense of warmth in you personally and others can see it and feel it as well. So I thought Shine was both good from a communicative perspective as well as from an audience perspective watching someone who's on stage or in a meeting. Hmm, Nice. Uh, You know, and you bring up an interesting point, communication, and really the book's about how to communicate and do better inside an organization, uh, Mm -hmm. especially if it's an organization that's got its stuff together and everybody's kind of on track and everybody's kind of performing well. How do you stand out? How do you move and make a difference in that organization. It's mm-hmm. almost like there's competition within the organization to be a superstar. Um, and this book kind of helps you get there. That's absolutely right, Bob. And and the reason I think this book is timely, we're, we're in a time right now where you have a lot of people in organizations and they're all trying to move their careers forward. I think everyone who is in an organization right now wants to move forward. It's not necessarily even moving to a high-level executive position, but just wants to move to the next role, just wants to be considered when a new posting comes up for the job that they've been thinking about. And it's very difficult when you have so many people competing for the same thing. And I find that um, having worked with a lot of organizations in their HR groups, very often it is People get moved or noticed when it's usually someone who knows them or someone who's been in contact with them. So make being your the ability to stand out to someone at a certain point in your career plays a huge role 
in your ability to move on in an organization. Certainly beyond just the HR and the posting and the, 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 the process of an organization. But I think that when you can stand up to someone who could be a mentor or someone who's more senior than you, it's usually them who will say, hey, have you thought about Bob for this role? Because I just I saw Bob the other day and I, he just did an amazing job with that project. That's usually how it happens. So how do you get more of that happening? And that's what this book is about. How do you stand out? How do you actually get noticed by people? Hmm. You know, it reminds me a lot of when you're trying to actually get a job as well. All those things you bring to bear, building up relationships, learning how mm-hmm. to communicate with people, how to um, get your core values across. I think a lot of people, want they, once they get the job, they forget all that stuff. Right. And, you know, one of the hardest full-time jobs there is is getting a job and then once you've gone through that gauntlet and you're there and you're sitting in your desk and you're meeting a couple of people you kind of put all that stuff that amazing sales and all the promises that you made uh to the side and get down to micro thinking you're you're what's what do i have to get done now and right. you, you get stuck in the forest and you st- you you're unable to step away from your desk and away from the people you know and then away from your department and say what's the big picture here that's right. And I think in, in most cases, you're absolutely right. When you get into a job, you are then focused on projects. You're focused on tasks and outcomes that lead to your performance appraisal, right? Because that's what everyone works towards is to get a good performance appraisal. What I'm hearing a lot now is there is so much emphasis on professional development plans by employees, meaning that while performance appraisals are important, what organizations are trying to do is to get employees to think, all right, how are you going to develop yourself? And that's where I think a lot of employees have difficulties. Well, I don't, I don't really know how I need to develop myself. Well, this book kind of takes you through some of the areas in communication or soft skills that we often forget when we get back into the, the career track. And we, we tend to put that as an aside. And what this book tries to do is to say, you know what? It's about becoming better every day as a communicator. It's not about becoming the best communicator, but it's the ability to become better because I really believe that it's about better that that leads to breakthroughs. Mm. Uh, you know, you've got some key points in your book and uh, I'm going to be using these as my crib notes because they're just so great. Uh, Thank I'm you. I'm very curious about uh, what are the four sins of meetings? <laughs> The, well, I think, I think we probably have all witnessed the sins of meetings. Um, and the, the biggest one, I think, is the, when we hold a meeting or when we ask to set up meetings, we usually become, it becomes very routine. And so we then say, okay, you know what, let's set a meeting every Tuesday. So what happens is every Tuesday you, you gather the group of people together and it becomes sort of almost mechanical. The, the ideas of great meetings is meetings are supposed to move forward something. Mm-hmm. If something doesn't progress by the end of that meeting, I consider it a wasted meeting. And the progression doesn't have to be a finished job or anything major, but it needs to move something forward. So to me, the biggest sin is not having a clear objective of what that meeting is supposed to do. So that's one of the big ones. Um, I also talk about wastefulness of meetings in the sense that sometimes we just meet for the sake of meeting. I've been in organizations where I can count daily the number of meetings that take place uh, and they usually happen around this 
coffee area on the second floor of, of this building. And it's amazing. That coffee shop must do so well because there are so many meetings going on at that, t- at that time. And I think wastefulness is one of the things that we just become used to say, let's meet on something and just for the sake of getting together. So that's definitely another sin as well. Um, third one is really much, very much about having the right people at the meetings, um, because that's usually where the disengagement could come in. If you have the wrong people at the meeting or you have too many people at the meeting, that can be a real deterrent to progress as well. I think we fall into this trap sometimes when we think about um having people attend a meeting that the more the merrier or the more the more ideas will generate and while that works for some meetings like brainstorming for example it doesn't necessarily work the same way for other meetings where a decision needs to be made and that usually is another real key scene in in meetings Hmm. you know for for me when i was doing lots and lots and lots of meetings i would say about (laughs) 80 percent of my day was taken up with meetings i was getting so frustrated because there was uh no agendas and things like that. Right. Um, and I just started taking over the meetings, and, and I got some pushback on that. How do you introduce these ideas to a meeting where you're in a meeting, it was a wasteful meeting, do you pull a person to put the meeting aside and say, hey, dude, if you want me to come to your next meeting, have an agenda, do this, this, or this, or you're wasting my time. Can you be that aggressive about it, or do you kind of have to finesse it a little bit? I think certainly you you you, don't, you want to get noticed, but in the right way, <laughs> that way. Um, and I think it is finessing. I think if you first of all, if you're if you're leading a meeting, I think the four sins of meeting is something everyone should read. If you're attending a meeting and you feel like, oh boy, here we go again, I do think there are subtle things you can do. I think you can always, without pointing the finger or um, holding anyone necessarily accountable, you can say. Something like, you know, I think we're here to talk about the decision on the tagline for this conference. So let's kind of focus on that. So you're, you're in a way, in a, in a very sort of uh, from a back end support, leading people towards the objective of the meeting. Because I'm, I'm pretty sure people who are in that meeting know what the meeting is supposed to be about. And then when it gets offside, it's just a way of saying, what about we focus on this? Because we really want to get that done today. So I, do, I think that's a nice way of doing it without saying, hey, you know what, this was wasteful. It's funny, you know, Bob, because the reason why I wrote this book is I've in the last, I would say probably easily the last five years, people have been coming up to me saying, Jerry, that was a great meeting. Thanks for holding that meeting. And I would say, thank you. That's thank you very much. That's really good. Um, that's really good comment. And then people is coming up to say after a presentation, that was probably one of the best presentations. I wish you were here for more presentations. And when we talked about change, I have people come up to me to say, Jerry, how come when you talk about change, we all get it? How come you're able to do that? So at first I kind of started dismissing all of that as just really nice compliments. Like, thank you for sharing that with me. But then I began wondering, well, what is it that I'm doing that's making these people say what they're saying? And that's where... I would call my deconstruction began to happen. And I'm a big deconstructor in the way that I like to know why things work and why things are not working. So when someone says to me, your meetings are great, your presentations are powerful, you lead change so effectively, I began deconstructing it. And that is the genesis of this book, is really breaking down what are the actual steps to make this happen. And that's why I keep calling it practical, uh, practical tactical. Hmm. Let's talk a little bit about um, 
your your engaging techniques. Now you got eight here. We don't have to cover them all, but I would say, well, you know, for you, uh, and it goes back to what I was talking about earlier. When you're outside of a company or you're doing uh, marketing right. or or sales, that is a huge part of your job is to go out there and be more social, to make new connections and then build a relationship. Right. And in the workplace, that is a really good strategy too. So. Is that the type of engagement you're talking about here? Whether it's for business, for work, for colleagues, everything is about relationship. All organizations, economies work with relationships. So every every person you meet, whether it's five minutes, half an hour, a day, a week, it's all about relationships. And when it when we talk about relationships and relationships that work, it's about trust. If I trust you, we're going to have a great conversation. If I for some reason, get a f- odd feeling about you or you've done something that made me not trust you, nothing is really going to work very well. So the eight engagement techniques is not about getting people to like you necessarily, but it is about building trust and it's about building and showing who you are genuinely. So who's the authentic person inside? And that's what the eight engagement techniques are about. You know, you, you brought up a really good word there, um, authentic uh, mm-hmm. with your engagement. And I think a lot of people where they they stumble with this type of thing is they'll read it and then they'll become almost like an automaton like this robot it's like <laughs> okay take one I've done one and okay now I'm going to do two and I'm going to do three and they they yeah. come off as being totally inauthentic. So mm-hmm. you know a lot of people I'm working with uh, with social engagement and and whatever I say okay here are the key points we're trying to get across go memorize them and mm-hmm. then come back and forget about them and let them come up naturally. Exactly. Uh, that's what that's how you do the authentic. Exactly. And I and I often people say, you know, I don't really understand, Jerry. What do you mean by authentic? And I say, well, I want you to think about a time when you spoke to a friend or a colleague at work about this great movie you saw on the weekend. I said, just think about that. I said, did you have to think how you were going to set up the conversation? Did you have to think how you were going to emphasize some of the words that you saw, you know, that you heard in the movie or a phrase or a song or a scene? No, that was just naturally you coming out your natural way. Authenticity is about just being comfortable with your voice, being comfortable with who you are and your normal cadence. That's what it's all about. And it's also about the passion, too. Like I mm-hmm. I, I do another podcast about uh, great TV shows. And everybody. Oh, I love that one. I want to. I want to be on that one too. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring you on a panel for sure. Um, but it's all about the passion. And yes. what I've discovered over the, you know the years that we've been doing this show is that when you get person when you get a person on, they can be shy, and then they start to open up, and then the real them comes out, and they get really impassioned about a show. You learn yeah. so much about the show, and a lot of times the knowledge is not readily available. Mm-hmm. The stuff that you can tap into when somebody becomes passionate about something, they're just they're, they're all the barriers have gone down, and they're just yeah. dumping. And yeah. I think what happens a lot of times uh, in in a, a in work environment, people are holding back, and they've kind of got this safety wall. Yes, like, I better not say that. I don't want to be politically incorrect, or I better not say this because I might be uh, telling something to somebody I shouldn't be saying. Instead mm-hmm. of somebody that's just like, "Hey, this is how I feel. This is what I'm passionate about." And sure, if you overstep and you you can't go nuts about it, but right. if, you you also have to approach people and say, "Hey, I hope I'm not being too open." Because yeah. some people are uncomfortable. You're absolutely right. You, you know what? It's funny you say that because last week I was talking about this book to a small group of people and we were talking about meetings. 
And they shared with me that the toughest part about meetings was the fact that other people in the room who were more senior to them, that they felt like they couldn't actually say what was really on their mind. Mm -hmm. And I felt sad when that was when they told me that because I thought, you know what, as a leader myself, as a manager of people, as anyone who has worked with other colleagues, I value what people say. And you know what? You're right. You don't want to come across the wrong way. But when you set it up as, hey, you know what? I have this crazy idea I want to share with you. What do you guys think about it? Am I being offside if I say this? That couches the whole, the, the whole phrase much better. And I think that that's really what we want to get out is more people to be able to share authentically what they're thinking inside. Mm. Um, you know, what about people types? Because I can think that can be a major stumbling block. Not everybody yeah. is the same as you. And so, like, we tend to be a little on the gregarious side, very, you know, <laughs> effervescent and, and like to use fancy words. Yeah. Uh, whereas, whereas people that are more analytical, they like to study it, absorb yeah. it, think about it, and then make a point. Mm-hmm. And I... I'm really very conscious about that because I can steamroll people, and I'll I'll be doing uh, a conversation. Then I'll I'll stop and I won't say anything, but I'll just look at the person saying, "Okay, mm-hmm. this is me giving you time to say something," and it's me screaming inside my head, going, "Say something! Mm-hmm. Say something!" Yeah. Um, but for them, they're probably panicking a little bit, saying, like, "Oh, yes." Oh. Yeah, I think, you know what, it's such an interesting point you bring up about that, because when I finished writing this book, someone asked me, well, what about people who are introverted? People who who really don't want to stand out and people who really don't want to get noticed. And I and I and I thought about that. And this book, first of all, is more than just a book. I really see this book as a movement. I really believe that whether you're shy, introverted, or gregarious like we are, it's about becoming better. I think everyone can strive for better. And it's the and at whatever level you're at, you can always be better. So if you're an introvert and you're really shy and you don't wanna you don't you want to, but you don't really know how, it's about becoming that one or two degree better. For people who are experienced in meetings, presentations, and change. It's about that next level up. So for me, it is about striving for better because like I said, I do believe that one day you're going to realize as you become better, you're going to suddenly say, hey, this is actually this is actually pretty okay. I can do this. That's what I call a breakthrough. And that's why I say better leads to breakthroughs. Hmm. Well, that, that to me almost sounds like a lot of people that you think are introverts are actually just not that confident. And That's exactly right. Once yeah. they build it up and they find their voice, then a lot of times they're not introvert at all. They're mm-hmm. just like, ah, then it's more about yeah. controlling the situation. Yeah. You're turning, a, you're turning a deep thinker into someone who has something very valuable to say. Mm. Well, and I think deep thinkers are great people to have because mm-hmm. it's an anchoring point in a meeting. I mean, it's almost like you want to give them the role of like, I don't need you to speak during the whole meeting, but I'd really love it at the end of the last three to five minutes of the meeting if you could give us a review or or, or a recap. And then mm-hmm. they can spend the whole meeting thinking about the meeting, think about the recap, and then say, oh, and then Bill here, he's going to do a recap for us. Bill, what did you yeah. get out of the meeting? And then they come out That's with these perfect. amazing. But the things they come up with are amazing. It's like, oh my mm-hmm. God, that was probably the most salient point for the whole meeting. I better write that down. 
And you know what? And probably that individual is probably one of the best listeners in that group. And that's a huge part of engagement as well, is to be able to be a great listener. And unfortunately, uh, I, I am one for sure, a, a culprit of sometimes very poor listening because I'm already thinking about the next thing I want to say. So um, that's a very important part to have deep thinkers in those meetings for them to be able to recap for you. I think that's powerful. Well, you know, uh, that reminds me a lot of, of some of the best presenters that I've been to, especially if it's workshop-driven, and they'll come up and say, hey, hey how's everybody going? Um, this is what I'm going to try and accomplish today, and these are the five topics that I'm going to touch on over the next hour. I'm going to talk mm-hmm. about this, I'm going to talk about this, I'm going to talk about And then at the end of the meeting, they go back and say, do you think we covered this, guys? Have I missed anything in that? And they actually go back to those five topics, and if everybody agrees, then it's a great. Thank you very much, and they close it off. It's just the ability to revisit and control the situation where people have the opportunity to step and say, well, I wasn't 100% sure about this, I wasn't 100% sure about that, and mm-hmm. give a chance for people to reiterate. Well, I think that what, what you're sharing too is, is that these are all great tactics. These are things that you can say, you know what, what you just, in fact, what you just shared with me, Bob, I'm going to say, hey, as, as you were telling me that, I'm thinking that is a really good way to do it. I've done the, here are the things we're going to talk about, and I do a recap at the end. But what about asking the same question? Have, do you think, as an audience member, do you think we've covered these five? And which areas do you think we should have gone deeper into? And I think that's a really great way to engage your audience at the very end. And it also serves as a great recap for them as well. Actually, there's an amazing meetup group in town. Um, It's run by Roger Killen. And what he does at the end of the meeting, and he's a master at running meetings. So, Mm -hmm. you know, not everybody should be on this level. But he basically says like, hey, you know, thanks, Bob, for speaking with the group. Um, And now we'd like to give you a gift. We're going to go out there. We're going to ask the group what they liked about and where you could improve. And he mm. actually asked that we need a critique. And if it's all positive stuff, there must be something that Bob can improve on. Because if it's all positive stuff, how can I improve? And you get some stuff, well, I thought you spoke too fast or, or I was a little confused about this particular topic or you, you talk too much about something else. And it mm-hmm. really helps the speaker saying, wow, this is great info. I am going to tweak my PowerPoint. Yeah. That is great. That's a, these are the tips. And I think what I would love for Shine to be able to do at some point is to create almost a community of individual people who are uh, working on their Shine to share some of these tips as well. I think that's going to be very powerful. Because like I said, it is, it's like a, it's a movement. For me, it's, what I want out of this book is that everyone says, you know what? I actually can be better. And this is how I do it. Now, I wanted to ask you, for for somebody that gets the book, how should they tackle it? Should Mm. they read it cover to cover, or is it something that's a no, I need to know about communication skills, and jump right into that section? It's funny. Well, the book is separated into five parts. Mm. It's on meetings, presentations, leading people through change, building relationships, and of course, the fifth part um, is what I call the inside voice, the voice that's in your head that's keeping you from becoming better when everyone else is your champion, you're your worst um, enemy in that respect. These are what I call the five proof points of communication where you do have the ability to either stand out or get drowned out in the noise. So how they would approach this book, number of ways. It's funny, when I was asked how to print the book, somebody said, well, you should do hardcover because hardcover always looks you know, a little bit sexier as a book and you can, you can, you know, you can raise your, your price a little bit. And I thought, you know what? I see this book in briefcases. I see this book in knapsacks. I want this book to be just whip it in, whip it out. 
And that's where the paperback came from. And the way I wrote the book is because it is in what I call bite-sized knowledge, you can read this on a subway ride or a bus ride, 10 minutes, you will get something even in those 10 minutes. What's interesting to me, Bob, though, is that people who have told me they've picked this book up on a Saturday morning just to kind of go through it with coffee, they did not put it back down till Saturday night. It was so easy to read that it was almost addictive. They just kept turning the page. So I do, it was written with the intent of bite size, but I found that people were able to get through it in one or two sittings. You know, what's interesting about this book, it, it, um, it is exactly the theory I did when I was doing magazine design way back in the day. And I'd have these <laughs> arguments with the writers and they say, yeah, here's an 1800 word piece. I said, great, break it down into small chunks. We have to be able to break out sections of it or nobody's going to read it. Nobody has perceived time because they have to see the value of the piece. They have to get some knowledge for the piece before they go back and actually read the whole piece. So let's break that up for them. Let's put some big pull quotes in here. Let's make a box yeah. at least one per page, one yeah. per spread, uh, to help them understand what it's about. And boy, I got so much pushback from that. It took me months and months. But eventually it, it became a pattern and, and they were realizing that they were getting very much more uh, focused responses. Like mm -hmm. Not like, oh, I like your story. It's like, no, I like this part of your story. So it really proved that people were actually reading the pullout boxes. Exactly. And I think it's for me, I'm a big believer and I'm sure you as well as into audience engagement, whether it's a live uh, presentation and meeting, I want people engaged. And I wrote the book with that same thought in mind. I want you to be able to flip the page and have a few things to kind of focus on. And, it, and, and you think about some of the magazine covers you see on a magazine stand, that's really what we're drawn to. What are the things that kind of pop out for me? Is it a stat? Is it, is it, is it a poll? Is it a picture? What is it? And I try to bring that into the book as well. Hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the, the five sections. Why those particular sections? Those five were the five that jumped to me. So meetings, presentations, uh, leading change, relationships, and the inside voice were the five things that I personally went through going through my career and having worked in over 40 countries. These are the things I, that stand out for me when I when people are doing meetings and, and so on. Mm -hmm. So those were the, that's the reason why there's five. And I'm sure if I really thought about it some more, there could be six and seven. <laughs> but these are the five proof points that I really believe that someone at the end of, whether it's your meeting or presentation, could actually say, hey, that was really good. And that's, that's, that's what these five came from, is people who could actually say at the end, that was a really good meeting, presentation, I understand this change. I'm I'm with you. I'm, I bought in, and so on and so on. So that's why I chose the five. Hmm. Now, out of those five, which ones should some you know if if somebody just wants to glance at the book, they're at the bookstore. What section do you think they should read that you think will be most relevant to them? And I know that's an impossible question to answer, <laughs> but if you were you know given that choice, and the buddy goes up to you and say, "Geez, dude, where where which one should I read first? Right. What would you recommend? I would, I would definitely say presentations. I think, I think everyone um, wants to be that amazing presenter that they saw once or twice in, in their past. And I think that people are often most intimidated when it comes to their own presentation style. They're, they're, they're nervous, they're anxious, and 
this section in, on presentations really takes you through not just, it's not about how do you structure your presentation, but it's what should you think through and how do you mentally prepare yourself for success each time. And so I think that that's probably going to be the most rewarding and most interesting chapter for them. Hmm. Now, when you were putting this book together, uh, for you, what was the aha moment? Where, when did something that you already knew about totally crystallize for you? I think the aha moment came as I was writing it and I did not realize how much of what I was writing were actually tactical. I didn't, I didn't think I had that many tactics in my, in my, in my <laughs> head, nor did I practice them. I, I, it's a very unconscious competence that I had. And as I was writing them down, I thought, wow, here are eight steps to a great conference call. I didn't know there were eight steps and I didn't, but as I, as, and I don't mentally practice those eight steps. I actually just do them. So for me, the aha was that, and, and I said earlier, I'm a big deconstructor. I believe that anything that seems impossible can be broken down into things that are very possible. And that's what, that's what the aha moment was for me. Hmm. Interesting. You know, I love the use of, of uh, tactical because it goes really well with strategic. For mm-hmm. you, what is the difference between, you know, and obviously there is a difference, but, you know, looking at your book, what is the difference between a, a strategic approach and a tactical approach? A strategic approach to communication is, to me, is a much bigger picture. And I think that there's a lot of great books out there on thinking strategically about you as a communicator and what audiences are thinking. For me, tactics is about what I can do immediately to improve myself. Strategic gives me a bigger, longer-term vision of how I actually go from A to B. But my book is about going from A.1 to A.2. And that's to me is the difference between tactical and strategy. For me, a tactical or big steps. I mean, a strategic is big steps, big vision, and tactical mm-hmm. are the small steps and uh, the the small victories you make on the way to a tactical overview. In your notes, in your side notes here, you said that the two most powerful tools for change uh, to change communication. What do you mean by that? I think that when it comes to change, first of all. Um, people are afraid of change for many reasons of which we don't have enough time on this podcast to go through. (laughs) But I really believe that people are motivated to do something through two things in life, either to gain something or to avoid pain. And if you think of any time you've made a decision whether it's, you know, buying a car, whether it's moving, whether it's changing jobs, it's usually one of those two factors. And so I think that when it comes to change communication, the ability to understand what is the pain and gain from your audience perspective is key. And I stress the fact that it's from your audience perspective, because we as a communicator, we probably do know the pains and gains of this change, but until you can frame it in how they are thinking, you haven't tapped in, you haven't connected with what they're fearing or what they're trying to get. So that's why I call it the two most powerful tools with change is to understand what is inside their head when it comes to what are they trying to get or what do they hope to get and what are they trying to avoid? Mm. Well, you know, that reminds me of, of um, a sales guy I knew, and, and basically he said the same thing. It's, it's 
where is the pain? If you can find a pain a company has, then it's very, very easy to introduce them to the solution. And 99% of the time, if you're a good salesperson, that is your product. Absolutely, yeah. In a meeting, that's a slightly different headspace because it's about a project or it's about moving uh, your division forward. Um, how do you frame that? How do you discover people's pain points because you may understand what they are but other people may have a different vocabulary or they might have a different uh, angle on uh, a similar thing that you haven't even thought of mm -hmm. I think in a meeting space it's very much about what is the group's gain in pain it's not an individual thing for me mm -hmm. I think when you've been asked to be in a meeting or you're asked to be part of a committee you're asked to be part of a team and I think that if you can operate as a team and to be able to say, okay, what do we not want to happen? Well, we don't want last year's fiasco to happen again. Okay, so what do we want to happen this year? We want to make sure 500 people register for our event. Okay, so that's what we're aiming for. And I think that by having that sort of collective approach to gain and pain, you move everyone along the way. And I think the success of that type of mentality is to help everyone in that meeting feel like they're also contributing to that gain and pain. Because then they don't feel like they're just sitting there and not being heard. So if you're leading a meeting such as that, pain and gain is about the bigger picture and try to get everyone to feel as though they're contributing. Mm. Um, you've got to hear uh, steps for great conference calls. And boy, <laughs> for me, that has got to be my Achilles hand. And I mean, I, I do podcasts and, and whatever. <laughs> my biggest gripe with conference calls is the technology is just not there yet. It's yes, so confusing. Yeah. So what's the biggest tip you can give people for improving their conference calls? And, and I, I chuckle with you when you talk about the technology is not there. And you know what? I'm one of these people who say that when technology is great, world is great. When technology fails you, everything goes downhill. So technology is one of these things you can prepare for and you can plan, but you cannot control. Things will happen. So I think that in terms of what is the best tip for people on conference calls is probably that you want to try to bring everyone who is remote somehow into the room. So whatever you can do to make them feel as though they're right there with you, you're going to get that engagement. And that's success of a conference call is when people are engaged and they're actually focused on what's being talked about. Technology aside, you know, when, when it's working, it's going to be great. When it's not, you need to have a fallback plan like email or whatever the case may be or dial back and all that sort of stuff. But I think that if you can create an environment where people feel like they're in the room. So that could mean when you're starting a call, making sure you get do a quick roll call of everyone who's in there. Do a little bit of side chat just to see how things are going and wherever they are in the part of the world. It takes two seconds, but it brings that person into the room. And periodically, and I, I'm a big believer in conference calls, even as a chair, to what I call share the chair, which is in the book, which is the tip, which is basically saying... I want people on this conference call to take a portion of this agenda and run it. So whether you're in Hong Kong, whether you're in Australia, wherever you're calling in from, you're running this section. So what happens is you, everyone is then focused. They're not, because you can't see what they're doing. You don't know whether they're under Blackberries or whether they're typing an email message out. This will help focus everyone on what's happening at that time and in a way brings them into the room. 
Oh, I like that one. That's really awesome because I, I think a lot of times in conference calls, uh, there's even though there's somebody that's kind of leading the conference call, it's them just talking and saying, okay, and what are we going to do next? And there's mm-hmm. no specific direction. Joe, explain to us the ins and outs of this. We need this communicated. Exactly. It, it's almost like orchestrating a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And I think when you, and part of a great conference call is setting expectations. So what I often do at the front of the conference call, I'll say, my usual, you know what, if technology fails, just drop the line, dial back in, no problem. Um, if you really are, if you really can't reach us, email us and we will send you the transcript of whatever or the notes from the meeting. But I'm also going to say in the front end is that I'm going to be calling, you know, because we do need feedback from you, I will be calling out to you from time to time and specifically asking you what you think. So do be prepared to share with us so that they're not going to be shocked when I say, Shannon, what do you think about that? She's going to know because I've set the expectation that I will be calling out to them. Mm. I like that. It keeps people on their toes. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I I'm so curious about this hump, <laughs> H-U-M-P, and that, you know, yes. H period, U-M period, P, exclamation mark. Let's right. talk about that. It's awesome. So hump is, stands for huge um problem. <laughs> and I think you don't really know it until you actually hear yourself back on a recording or some type of device where you can actually uh, listen to yourself again. And we do, uh, some of us have it more severe than others. And it's also understanding and what I try to do is show them ways to alleviate the ums in their messaging. And the, one of the main reasons why we do have ums is it's a, it's a, it's a, how should I say, it's, a, it's an instinctual thing in our brain. So our brain thinks at approximately a thousand plus words per minute. So right now you could be thinking of what you want to have for lunch or whether or not you should have a second coffee. You're thinking about a lot of things. Your articulation, your voice can only speak at around 110 to 150 words per minute. So if you compare the thousand words that you're thinking, so imagine when you're presenting, you got these thousand words floating in your head and you're trying to get out in concise sentences, 110 to 150. What's happening is there is a lapse in time between your thinking, processing, getting the sentence out. So what you're doing is you're you're filling a space with ums. So something like, okay, today um, we're going to talk about three things. Um, The first first, um, thing we're going to talk about is um, that's what's happening. So your, your brain is processing very fast, but your speech is taking its time figuring out the sentence. So my biggest tip for people is number one, to recognize you have it. And number two, to simply slow down and pause. So to say, today, we're going to talk about three things. The first thing we're going to talk about is what we want to achieve by the end of this meeting. Second, we want to talk about this. So by, by purposefully putting pauses First of all, it also creates your audience to listen much better. Second of all, you've got a much greater ability to put those thousand words into a sentence. Hmm. Yeah, um, it is. It's kind of interesting because when I was in Japan, uh, there's actually they go entene instead of um. Okay. So you know, and I'm sure if we went to every single uh, language, they would have their version of um. 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah, for sure. I, I think people, they don't realize how quickly they're talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I get this all the time if I'm trying to record somebody. I'll say, that was great. Can you say it slower? And then slower. And, and then I'll say, that's getting close. And I know it probably sounds like you're being really slow, but you're not being that slow. Absolutely. And, and yeah. that, I think, is a, is a problem, too, with speech, is mm-hmm. people... They're trying to get these thousand words out through this device mm-hmm. that can't do a thousand words. And so they're forcing it. And you're right. It's impossible to leave, uh, listen to somebody that's talking too fast. Mm-hmm. And nerves, nerves play a part in that too. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if you look at presentations and people are nervous. And, the, and I always say, if you can get through the first five minutes of your presentation, I guarantee you your nerves will go down. But in that first five minutes, which is what I call the takeoff of a presentation, I want you to talk so slow that in your head, you're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm putting people to sleep. If you can think you're talking that slow, that's the perfect pace in which you're supposed to speak. Mm. Unless you do that naturally and you actually <laughs> are driving people crazy. Unless you, of course, see your audience sleeping, then you, then you have put them to sleep. <laughs> In which case, I would pick up the pace. Yeah, my biggest tip for uh, presentations is to actually get up and move because when mm-hmm. you're in a presentation situation in front of people, it's fight or flight. Mm-hmm. You're, you've gone down to that. So if you're physically moving, the flight part's being taken care of, even though it's it's over like a foot or two. But mm-hmm. the brain says, oh, okay, we're moving, so we don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. Now we can worry uh, about the fright part and get over that part too. And mm-hmm. that's all about breathing. Yes. Yeah. And I think moving is a great thing to do. And, and I talk about it in my book. It's called the section called Step Away from the Lectern. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how many people have we seen, whether behind a lectern, and we're used to it, unfortunately, we're used to seeing it as an audience member. But if you think about great presentations, it's usually anyone who has not hiding behind a lectern. It's someone who's out. And because because authenticity is about nonverbal as well as it is verbal. So if I can see you, if I can see you move and you're comfortable, that creates that authenticity with me as well. So moving is a huge part, Bob. I agree. Mm. Now, for our listening audience, uh, can you share with us one tip that can help them shine later today? <laughs> okay. I think the one tip to shine I'm going to give a mental tip and then a practical tip if I could. Sure. I think the mental tip is about believing that you can be better at anything that we've talked about today. That it's not about becoming the best, it's about better. And I think that if you strive to be better, that's going to happen. The actual tip I would give is to simply be more conscious of your pace. When you talk today on the phone with someone or you're holding a meeting, Watch the pace, slow it down, and you will find that people pay more attention to you than they normally have. Mm. Very good. I've been talking with Jerry Lewis today. Stand out, get noticed, be brilliant, shine. Communicate your way to a brighter career. And boy, this book is chock full of amazing (laughs) things that you can do tactical and also strategic as well but I would say 99.9% tactical so definitely a hands-on get it done book thanks for being on the show Jerry Bob it was great chatting with you I hope to do it again soon 
Hey, I hope you enjoyed that show and do me a favor and tweet about it. Follow us on Facebook if you haven't done that already. We really appreciate it. See you next week.